welcome to the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. Uh, my name is Robin, and yes, I'm here again alone. Um, uh, Stephanie actually had to take off the day after we recorded our, uh, our podcast for He Blinded Me With Science. Uh, she's headed up to D.C. probably to, you know, check around, see if there's any sort of like government sanctions uh, preventing us against the, the spread of the zombie virus. Um, anything about, uh, you know, uh, investigations into Utopium, uh, that kind of thing. But uh, I'm actually here on my own uh, again for a couple of interviews today. Uh, first off, we have uh, the amazing uh, Leanne Lapp, who, wow, she, she just, uh, she was put through the ringer in this past episode. So I'm so glad that she's here to talk with us. Um, of course she plays Gilda slash Rita. Um, and then after that, we have Dan Etheridge, who is another executive producer of iZombie, but he's the man up in Vancouver and he's got all sorts of great details about not only how he got started with, uh, iZombie and working with Rob Thomas and the gang, uh, but also, you know, some really cool details about the episode he directed. Uh, he blinded me with science. It, it was a really fun time with both of them. And uh, up first, we'll we'll have you listen to this interview I did with Leanne Lapp. Here we go. Welcome uh, to the iZombie podcast. We're here with Leanne Lapp, who plays Gilda or Rita or Gilda or Rita. We don't know which one. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's so awesome uh, for you uh, to join us. Unfortunately, Steph couldn't be here with us, uh, my co-host, but uh, she does uh, send her regards. <laughs> oh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So uh, we definitely want to talk about the traumatic events of this week's episode, but I do want to rewind it back just a little bit to last year's season finale first. Um, sure. Now, we were really intrigued when this redhead with the green dress uh, and the employer you don't want to screw with showed up. Can you can you kind of talk about what your first day was on iZombie and just kind of what went into creating this uh, memorable femme fatale? Sure. Well, uh, originally when I got the uh, the breakdown for the for the audition and the sides, it, it was just written as a, a redhead in a green dress. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we didn't they, they didn't really say anything specific about her other than, you know, that she she works for Vaughn and and that uh, and that, you know, she works alongside some very powerful people who aren't to be messed with. Um, and it was sort of just left at that. There was nothing really like said about her character wise or personality wise. She sort of just appears mysteriously. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I didn't I didn't really know where they were going to go with it. But I got to set and got to the wardrobe fitting and. I think what was originally just written as a coffee shop was like this really cool old gentrified fifties diner um, that felt like very pulp fiction esque and like they sort of did me up to match and right away what like could have been a really just sort of standard scene had turned into something like really cool and mysterious. And then uh, when I got on set and did my scene with uh reese ward uh who plays gosh i can't remember his character name but he uh the kid with the thumb drive <laughs> yeah the kid with the thumb drive that's 
what oh, gosh I can't remember but he was just such a great actor to work opposite and mm -hmm. just sitting in that booth in that diner I think like we really created something cool together and uh absolutely I mean she's she's like she's barely paying attention to him she's checking her phone she's it seems like she's really uh very much above all this <laughs> yeah well that was what was fun to play is that is that um Reese's character was kind of just like this tough guy yeah and she just wasn't having any of it like nope. she was just and I think I think it it makes it kind of all the more of an interesting scene is like, who is this, this sort of girl who's just like so unimpressed and so above this kind of intimidating looking dude. You, you really like want to know more about her and want to know what she's about. And after, you know, after I left set that day, I was like, wow, we've really kind of created something cool and it's too bad. That's, that's it. Because at that time, that's all it was. Yeah. And then I guess, um, the director who directed that episode and, and who has directed m many more for us since Michael Fields and uh, some of the producers and Rob Thomas, the show creator who was actually on set with us that day, felt the same way and and uh, and then just created this wonderful character for me out of it. And I, uh, I, I couldn't be any luckier. <laughs> I actually read that you based this character on Claire Underwood from House of Cards, which really thrills me because I just finished the last season. <laughs> Yeah, wasn't the last season good? Holy cow. I mean, I, season three was kind of a slump, but I think yeah. season four is like top shelf. No, I agree. I watched season three and was sort of underwhelmed, but like was not ready to give up on the show by any means oh, totally. because the first and second season were so good. And then season four just like sort of picks everything right back up. But yeah, I, I did... Um, when we shot the finale episode of the f of the first season, I had like just finished seasons one and two of House of Cards, mm. and I was really taken with Claire Underwood's character because she's just like she's just so terrifying, in in like such an unexpected way because she's so poised and calm and collected. But I think um, with a w with a woman or a man, that's often kind of the most frightening thing because you just don't know what they're going to do. You know, mm -hmm. like, so, you know, somebody who really has power isn't like, you know, running around showing it. They're like, you know, the silent person in the corner who could mess things up at any time for everybody. But, uh, you know, I think, I think those are kind of the most like, uh, terrifying villains. And, and I really, I really wanted to, I really wanted to bring that to Gilda. So, you know, any, anything from like the way Gilda stands and the way she walks to like her, my line delivery is mm -hmm. like very much inspired by Robin Wright's performance so much so that like sometimes I watch clips of her in House of Cards in between mm -hmm. takes when we're shooting just to like get in that zone. <laughs> Do you sometimes go, oh, she's so Gilda in this scene? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well. Yeah. They do have a lot of similarities, and yeah. uh, and I and I think that I think that type of character like really plays well because she, you know, she obviously acts opposite Kevin Spacey, who's mm -hmm. a bit a bit more like manic and crazy and wild on the show, and and I'm always acting opposite Stephen Weber, who oh, plays right. Vaughn, who is obviously like you know you just don't know what he's going to do or say or what's going to come out of his mouth next like he's mm -hmm. so all the little idiosyncrasies he's brought to that character are so entertaining so i think it really you know that sort of pull and push really works well between those two characters in our scenes together and, and i i find it interesting that you actually still call the character gilda is that just kind of yeah. like a habit that you got into well it is and you know what's funny because when <laughs> 
it, I mean, I don't know, maybe this makes me sound kind of stupid, but when we got the scripts, like it was never explained to me that Gilda was a, was like a, a decoy name. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the first time the name Rita is used is, I think it's like episode three where major is training a client at max rager. And I'm like, you know, on a medicine ball and the, and the client says, Oh, that Rita and makes a comment. And I just assumed that he was making a Rita Hayworth in the movie Gilda reference. Yes, yeah. Uh, and then a few episodes later, it's like, no, 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 your name is actually Rita. And I'm like, oh, okay. But as we've gone on in the script, like even, even though like, you know, the jig is up, I'm not in Liv's apartment anymore in the show. I'm officially not being called Gilda by anyone. They still write my name in the script as Gilda. <laughs> um, funny. So, and, and I've, and after, like, I think it was like episode five that it came out that I was actually Rita and I was just like, no, we're just going to stick with Gilda. <laughs> it's easier. It's easier. It's but funny yeah, we technically, had to, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We just had to train ourselves here on the show to start calling you Rita instead of Gilda. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I also just think Gilda sounds more, it just sounds more villainy to me, yeah, I yeah. think. But I don't know. So, yeah, I've uh, even though technically it is Rita, I was just Gilda for so long that <laughs> I it's it's stuck with me. And that's how that's how everybody ref like as we're shooting refers to the character. So I think we've all just sort of made a conscious decision for clarity's sake to stick to Gilda. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what was great about getting into uh, season two, I mean, your character is sent under this guise of Gilda to spy on Liv while also mm. kind of seducing this uh, utopium abusing major as Rita. So, I mean, how, how much did you enjoy, uh, you know, playing this double agent uh, while while still kind of creating this character? It was great. It was it was really fun. It was also um, a lot to take on because yeah. I had like never... I'd never played a character that was essentially like everything she said and everything she did was a lie. Mm -hmm. uh, so for an, for an actor, that's kind of like, you know, it's some it's something extra to wrap your head around when every line you read, uh, how am I doing this? Okay, why am I doing this? You know, why? Right. You know, what do I actually think when I'm doing this? And because uh, you know everything she says and does, like you know she's she's not she's not the girl that would you know hook up with major for the fun of it like there's a purpose for it you know right. she's you know there's when she's you know making toast in the morning and Liv walks in it's you know not actually because she wants breakfast it's because she's you know there to have a conversation with Liv so yeah. it was it was it was um it was interesting to to wrap my head around that in the beginning but it was a really really cool opportunity as an actor and like such a fun character to play and also just like an opportunity to work with a lot of different cast members because yeah. you know obviously a lot of my scenes are at max rager with bond and um major and all the you know other workers there but i you know also got to have a few scenes with peyton and live and yep. and uh so yeah it was it was nice in that sense as well now, um, do you think uh, Rita had any? Uh, excuse me, Gilda. Or <laughs> had it's any, okay. Uh, we can say Rita. <laughs> did, do you think she ever had any real feelings for Major? Um, well, I had I had decided um, that no, she didn't have oh, any real feelings because, like, I don't I don't really think that 
you know, she's like capable of that or really like understands what that is. Hmm. But uh, like, you know, really like loving or caring about somebody more than you care about yourself. Um, But, uh, you know, her ego was definitely bruised by it. And I think it's sort of like one of those things that any any like human being, woman or man can relate to when, you know, you don't want something until you can't have it anymore. And then, and then you feel possessive over that person. Right. Uh, so I think, I think it was more just that, like, I don't think she had any real feelings for major, but like her ego was definitely, definitely bruised, um, when he broke it off. But, Mm -hmm. but no, I don't think she was ever like in love with him because I just don't think she could ever love anyone. Yeah. (laughs) And then there was the whole thing where Liv was, you know, talking about this girl, Rita, who is, uh, you know, whatever, saying all sorts of insulting things about your character in front of Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that was an interesting scene because he's, you know, Liv saying, oh, yeah, Major said it was just a fling and that she meant nothing. Mm -hmm. And I and, you know, that's one of those moments where you think, oh, did she did she really care about him? But, you know, I, I don't think she does. I think it's just it just really, it just really bruised her ego. Like Gilda's right. obviously like a very, very competitive girl. She's not a girl's girl at all. Uh, you know, I don't, she has like any female friends <laughs> or any friends at all, but you know, definitely probably gets along better with men just because like she can use that, yeah. you know, aspect of herself to get what she wants. Um, so, so like the, the texting, the lingerie wasn't, wasn't kind of like part of the whole mission overall. It was more like, uh, you know, what? I'm going to get back at these jerks. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that was a question that I've been asked before. Like, did, do you think, you know, did Gilda know that Liv would pick up the phone? And I think, I think, you know, how could she have known? But either way, it was a it was a win win for her. Exactly, I you yeah. know if it was actually Major texting her or if it was Liv, both scenarios played into her favor. So, mm-hmm. and uh, we waited what seemed like forever for uh, Major and Rita to actually cross paths at Liv's apartment. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. I uh, that that was a that was a really interesting and fun scene, and it yes. and it was one of those scenes where it it had taken so long to happen because mm-hmm. you know Gilda is just so good at manipulating people, and and she's so she was so good at what she did that it took so long for their for them to for all three of them to be in the same room together. Yeah. But uh, and it's funny how that scene plays out too because you kind of almost think that Major's just not going to do anything about it until the very end when mm-hmm. he turns around and gives her away drops um, a grenade in the room and closes the door yeah yeah i know that scene was so that scene was so intense mm. it was re- it was really fun to shoot and uh i mean the whole punch and everything how is it filming that that whole scene it was good it was really good it's so funny because like obviously um you know i i didn't do very much work at all it was it was um a uh, a, a stunt actress who mm-hmm. you know get throws herself against the wall and yeah, slides yeah. down um but i don't you know i'd never done anything like that before uh and i didn't realize how much how much i guess how specific acting like you've been hit in the face looks because <laughs> what was what was happening a lot on camera was i would do this really silly thing where you know the somebody's uh 
somebody's hand would come like and obviously they're not actually hitting you they're like far away but the angle of the camera it looks like they are and then you would fling your head back but I would always anticipate the hit so right before it came I would like do a whip in the other direction and then whip (laughs) my head around and they were like Kate that's not gonna work Leanne that looks that looks bad and I it took me a while to like not (laughs) not do that but uh I think I think we ended up getting a pretty good shot in the end so worked out and it's so strange like i you know i know how cold and and kind of ruthless she's been all season but you know i i couldn't help but feel a little bad for her as well yeah i know you uh you do well i mean i don't know i think i think there's been kind of like a surge of like villains that you that you really like on on television like i mean house of cards is a great example like Mm -hmm. frank underwood is sort of the villain but you you root for him all the time or even like you know i'm trying to think of some other shows but like that that seems to be sort of like a recurring trend um Mm. and and i think gilda was sort of one of those characters is that you know you just hate her and you just want her to get what's coming to her but you love you love to hate her like she definitely provides a like a dichotomy in the show that Definitely make, keeps things interesting. <laughs> and and she's so mysterious. So as like a fan, I'm almost setting up like backstory for her. In, yeah. In place. I mean, she's her father is uh, Von de Clark. Uh, I mean, yep. that's that's got to damage her in some way. She she was innocent before, you know, anything that he might have, uh, you know, caused, you know, leaving his, her mother and all that. Yeah. Well, I think, and it's funny because when we started season two, like I had literally no backstory for her. It was something that me and Steven sort of had to come up with on our own. Mm-hmm. And then as the season progresses, he sort of like in jokes and stuff like that m- mentions that, you know, it was, it, it, uh, I was conceived out of a one night stand, <laughs> but, uh, but I think, you know, I, I think the, the the backstory that we had sort of that I had sort of come up with for her was that that Vaughn was never really in her young life as a child, but just like by nature, she was always sort of more like him. Mm-hmm. And then and then, you know, met him later on in life and and uh, and realized they were so similar. And that that's the thing about those two characters is that like. Gilda is Gilda is the female version of Vaughn. They're so similar. Mm-hmm. They have the same vices. Uh, they have completely the same vices. We, you know, Vaughn and Gilda will have a conversation, an argument, and then next episode they'll have basically the exact same argument but flipped. <laughs> uh, and and so I, I think they you know probably met up later in Gilda's life and then realized that they worked really well together and that they spoke the same language in the sense that like. They're really the only two people on the show that they would have met anyways that are just like looking out for number one at all times, no matter what, um, mm-hmm. and are completely like straight faced about their agenda. And, uh, and the, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting in this last episode, it's like the, f- it's the first big betrayal yeah. of, of that, of, you know, bond to Gilda. They've, you know they've been thick as thieves for the in- the entire you know first two seasons and uh, and now this there's going to be a, a very different dynamic going forward. <laughs> I mean, uh, and it was it was definitely interesting how it was set up. I mean, in the beginning of the episode, 
he's flipping out because he's got this idea that I mean I don't I don't think he's 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 not upset because uh, Major and Rita were you know sleeping together. It was the fact that he thought that Major actually hit her, and he's yeah yeah he flips out and you know obviously there's uh, the Supermax involved in that that flip out, but and then at the end of the episode he completely abandons you like yeah with one of yeah. his little funny little faces like sorry you sorry know? yeah i know like, i know it was so what? ridiculous watching him do that when we were shooting <laughs> he was just making me laugh <laughs> <laughs> i i mean my wife and i were both like screaming no at the tv and uh my wife even called von disgusting because you know no matter what uh, how evil he is it's just like that's that's rita's dad <laughs> like how yeah. can you do that yeah, and that's the same thing. And that's the thing. Like, uh, but I, uh, I feel like I feel like if the if the roles had been reversed, it, uh, you know, oh, she would have done the that? same thing. Oh, wow. And and that's the thing that we were, you know, well, I was thinking about at least when we um, when we shot that scene was I was thinking, why does Gilda grab the prod and try to prod? the zombie off Dr. Lockett. Like what's going on there? Yeah. yeah. Uh, because Vaughn just literally slips out the back door, which is like, seems like the most Gilda Vaughn thing to do. Mm-hmm. And she sort of grabs, uh, you know, and I, I think that just comes from the fact that she just like hates the zombies so much. Like, I think she hates them even more than Vaughn does because they've just like ruined everything for her in, mm-hmm. in terms of like the success of, max rager and super max they've like really put a halt on like you know her dream life mm-hmm. um and you know when we were when we were shooting some of the earlier scenes where her and bonner in the lab with um you know dr lockett and and you know the other doctors that we've gone through she just is always like looking at them with like total disgust so yeah. i think maybe maybe it you know that was something that was going on like that she's just always wanted the chance to like end one of them but that was definitely something that I thought a lot about when I read that script I was like why does she why doesn't she just book it yeah I I I read it as you know she was just trying to help the doctor but I mean yeah but she doesn't care about the doctor right like that's the thing that I thought about like she just like and, and I mean, especially on our show, like we go through a new <laughs> doctor in the lab, like every three episodes, I feel right. like, yeah, we just like can't keep them. They keep they keep booking. They keep booking jobs. <laughs> I'm anytime we get a doctor, I'm like, well, you're about to book a really big movie because <laughs> so we will we'll get a doctor and and then and they'll be on set and they'll be like, oh, my agent just called me. I just booked Godzilla. And I'm like, OK, bye forever. Then I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good in this but, episode. We got to hear what happened to one of the doctors at least <laughs> yeah yeah dr irving no yeah. i know that was really cool and she that that actress was a really lovely woman and you know me and uh and rob buckley had a really awesome day chatting chatting with her oh uh, yeah i i i'm a fan of hers because uh she played mrs peacock in the episode home of uh the x-files uh, oh yeah she's a lady that's her legs are cut off and she's kept under the bed on a little uh pallet so oh my god yeah it's a cre- pretty creepy episode <laughs> yeah no she was telling us about uh all all her work that she oh no it wasn't godzilla it was planet of the apes that she was oh, on but right. she yep, was talking about she just goes to the zoo and just sits and watches the gorillas essentially and she hmm. just does that all day in preparation for for the show um but i was asking her all about that and 
very very fascinating very fascinating woman that's cool um and you're you're also used to working with the the romeros and uh i read in an interview that there I, I, is it the same romero that that you were oh, let me just backtrack you 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 had said basically that this female romero would crack you up in between takes like stick you know stick her thumb up and smile at you and her all her makeup yeah, she's such a sweetheart. Her name's Brianna, and uh-huh. she's like the key lab Romero. And uh, towards towards the end, or like even in certain episodes, we we have one other uh, named George. But uh, mm-hmm. he, they're so super talented at what they do. Um, I didn't, I didn't uh, fully realize the extent of it and until you know i worked with them more closely but uh she's the best she's like such a positive force to have on set and when Mm -hmm. i first worked with her i think it's like you know episode three or something that um i first see her and she was just terrifying like she's so good at physicalizing (laughs) the uh the Romero zombies and even like all the zombie sounds like that's her like she's making those on the day like I'm sure I'm sure they're on occasion they're adding some in post but like she's making all those noises um and uh she's she's she was just terrifying and it was so easy to like do the scene because she was just so good um she was just so good at what she was doing and then afterwards they would they would say cut and she would look at me and kind of like give me the thumbs up and be like yeah was that good and I was just like yeah that was terrifying and then she uh, ends up being she's the one that attacks you too right yeah yeah she is and she oh my gosh I can't tell you I mean that scene was obviously really fun to shoot but the thing that was the (laughs) not so fun part of it was stabbing her with that prodder because I would look at her and say, okay, you just, I'm going to do it. And then if I'm hurting you, just tell me and I'll, and I'll do it less. And she looked at me and she was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Just do it. Just do it really hard. And I was like, what? Like, she's just Uh, so committed to like, you know, getting the perfect shot and like making it look good. Um, But I hated stabbing her with that prodder because I was Mm. like stabbing her right in the ribs where she had no padding. (laughs) And, uh, and even like one of our, um, one of our cameramen, uh, who, who, who we've all, uh, nicknamed well his last name's fox everybody calls him foxy i was stabbing when we were filming um the zombies pov so like the camera's low and it's looking up at me i was just stabbing him like right in the thigh and i was like i don't i don't want to do this like can we put some foam there and everybody was like no just stab him (laughs) stab the cameraman already yeah and it's the worst like it's something that you even though you're like i we have i have to do this i have to get the shot i (laughs) <laughs> like I have to do this so that we can move on. Your right. your brain is just like no, we don't stab people. Like <laughs> you're not you're not doing that. Like it was, but so that that was a not so nice part of it. But otherwise, um, Brianna and our stunt coordinator um, Ernest and uh, everyone involved just made that like such a fun shoot <laughs> for me and everyone. And so in the end, you seem to be scratched quite a bit. Uh, yeah, by a zombie. I'm not gonna yeah. say tell you to verify anything but i'm just gonna say that i imagine a uh, gilda zombie is like a like a bride of frankenstein with red hair with like the big white stripe up the side 
could could that possibly come true? You know. It's <laughs> well, I, well, I can, I can tell you that there's no wedding dresses and no weddings involved. <laughs> That's sure, true. I can tell you. <laughs> but well, uh, well, you know, but, if uh, Major gets turned into a zombie, then he can be the the Frankenstein. He's, so he's got a limited number of options if he turns. <laughs> let's just say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, to close things out, I did read in an interview you did last year with the examiner that you do a quote, pretty stellar, uh, Shakira impression. Um, now have you actually, have you heard her new song from Zootopia? No, I haven't. <laughs> My four year old daughter is obsessed with it. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. I, I just, a lot. <laughs> I just like anytime she, I think, and I, I feel like I'm not the only person that does this anytime she, um, <laughs> <laughs> comes on the radio it's like you just have to do the voice like okay. you have to do the really nasally like la, 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 la. you have to start doing it well but, uh, well i was yeah. gonna ask you if i don't want to put you on the spot but i was hoping to hear what shakira would have to say about next week's episode of iZombie. Uh, shakira would say the episode is muy caliente but uh <laughs> i would say the episode like seriously yeah is the most intense episode you've seen on iZombie yet. I oh, read it on wow. a plane flying back from LA and after I finished it, I just like closed my laptop and stared out the window of this plane for the rest of the flight, just sort of like contemplating what I had just read. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, it's like, it's going to, it's a big one. It's a big one. I can't wow. wait for everyone to see it. Oh wow, that's that's, that's great, and uh, you know I'm, I've got, I've got my fingers crossed for 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 Gilda Rita that she's gonna you know she's gonna survive all this, and we're gonna <laughs> see her in season three. So uh, I've got my fingers crossed, and you don't have to say anything, but uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right, well, uh, thank you so much, Leanne, for being on the I Zombie podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Right, wasn't that great? <laughs> uh, so yeah, the Gilda. Uh, we don't know what her fate is, but uh, fingers crossed. Here, we're really hoping um, we have Leanne Lap around for a while, even if uh, she's probably a zombie at this point. <laughs> um, so uh, now that that's over, we're going to move on to our next interview. Uh, again, Dan Etheridge. Executive producer of iZombie, also uh, uh, executive producer of Veronica Mars and Party Down. He has been uh, as well with uh, Diane and others uh, in this whole Rob Thomas gang for many, many years. And he's got some uh, great details to tell us about. So uh, without further ado, here's my interview with Dan Etheridge. <laughs> Welcome to the iZombie podcast. Uh, we're here with uh, Dan Etheridge, uh, executive producer of iZombie. Yet another executive producer stopping by our little show. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'd say your big show, Robin, your big show. <laughs> that's, that's, let's not go with little show. I'm very happy to be here. I'm so pleased that you all, you all do this, and it's very entertaining, and thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm. Now, now we're kind of worried because uh, you know last week on the podcast, Diane said about you, uh, quote, he's the boss of everybody. I think I fear Dan more than I fear any other human being. So uh, what's what's it like to command such respect? <laughs> Diane, who is a, who's a genius, um, 
light nose knows that fools like me like flattery. So she was merely buttering me up. Uh, we, it's it's Rob Thomas's world, and we all gr- uh, happily live in it. <laughs> so I so assuming the mantle of whatever she called me, the the big boss, would just not be fair or true. Uh, she's a delightful colleague. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and also to introduce you, I do have another thing that was said. Uh, Robert Buckley uh, just tweeted recently uh, that you are the only member of the DGA to make all four Golden Girls cry in public. I don't know if you can comment on that at all, or is that uh, you know what that that in fact is I cannot. I can't. It, what happens between the Golden Girls and I stays between the Golden Girls. Oh, and that was our me. that was our chance at TMZ glory right there. But uh. yeah, I, we're going to have to cede the news day to Ted Cruz instead. <laughs> yes, uh, that, that may not be a timely reference when uh, by the to- when the podcast actually comes. Out. <laughs> oh no, you know it's that? coming out tonight. Actually, I'm going to edit it up. Oh, and- okay. great! So, so it's very well timed yeah. with the scurrilous news of the scandal. Oh, he's so scandalous. <laughs> But uh, who cares about that stuff? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not what we're here to talk about. Right. This isn't a politics podcast. Right. So so from the outside fan perspective, you seem to be the guy in charge of production up in Vancouver while, you know, the writers are all working down in L.A. I, could you possibly just like kind of for the, for the fans, like break down what your job is like? I mean, what, what's like a normal day for you? Um, I, happy to. And I should say, well, I, look, let me tell you about what goes on in Vancouver. And there's another producer up there I want to tell you about because uh, to sort of fully describe the operation, you know, every show gets to define for itself how it runs. Mm-hmm. And one of the great things about Rob and I and, and frankly, Rob and Diane and I and our colleague Danielle Stockdyke is we've been working together since Veronica Mars. Right. So when we do shows together, we we kind of have a n- natural feel for who handles what. Um in in the case of uh, uh, Rob and, and myself, uh, we've been friends for oof, 17 years and started working about on Veronica Mars, which is about 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I love production and I, I hope I'm good at it. I think I'm good at it. Uh, Rob can do production, but he doesn't love production. He, you know, is a brilliant writer. He's terrific in post and editing. So running the show and all that entails, writing the show, editing the show, all that, loves all that. I think he's happy to have a partner in me, a colleague in me who um, – or an employee in me who, um, who, who basically can oversee production from a creative point of view, mm-hmm. um, who Rob and I share a very same, a very same worldview in terms of uh, creativity. And, and more specifically, I really get his material. Uh, you know, we've pretends to a street I'm not writing right now and – so he, uh, uh, I, I get his stuff, and I think I'm a good interpreter of his stuff. So the reason he brought me on Veronica Mars, uh, I had sort of helped him. Uh, well, he and I were sort of breaking story together at his house for a couple of years, and one of the things that we worked on was the Veronica Mars pilot and the the season arc for Ron, uh, the first season. So when it came down to the show, he wanted a producer down in San Diego on set that he just felt kind of got him and got the show. And I was very grateful that that was me. Um, It was my first TV show, and he gave me a huge break in doing it, and I had great fun. So in... On shows, as you probably already know, and I'm sorry this is a huge monologue, Rob, and I hope this oh, is no, not, I love it. Uh, Please. boring. They'd yeah. rather yes. hear, hear you um, than me. <laughs> oh, very good. Well, the um, you know a, a show will often have a in, – in the writing – in the credits on the show, you may see produced by, mm-hmm. which is a, a very unique credit. And that credit is – in this show is occupied by Scott Graham, our producer in Vancouver. That is the fellow responsible for sort of producing the nuts and bolts of the show. You know, he, he, he gets the crew organized. Uh, 
preps the episodes. You know, he oversees the operation that is the show. And it's very literally he produces the show up in Vancouver. So when you say that, that I'm over, you know, the head of production up in Vancouver, I, I would say actually Scott is really the titular head of production. Right. Um, and what we are colleagues, you know, we we work so closely together. He's a wonderful guy, an unsung hero of the show. Um, my job is to is to help oversee the show from a creative perspective, particularly when we're shooting it. Mm-hmm. So you will find me from call to rap on the set, except where I have to be attending some duties in prep, some some meetings like the tone meeting with the director I attend so that I'm on board for the tone of the show. So I'm there on set, and I guess I'm, I'm there to help ensure that we're shooting the best show possible. Um, you know, we hire great directors, and uh, uh, and so that makes the job a lot easier but the show is big it's ambitious it's tonally ambitious um i think that's hopefully part of the fun for the fans and fun for us is you know we're not just a a unitone show yeah (laughs) and so you need to you need sometimes a second pair of eyes to 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 help out and so that's that's what i spend most of my time doing is is sort of are we shooting the best show possible are we shooting a show that when rob gets the dailies or director's cut he's going to go yeah that's that's what i saw in my head you know, yeah. now we're we're not always going to get it right, <laughs> and often we will get it wrong. But I feel like one of the good things about having a longtime partner like Rob or or he would feel about me is that we we do know each other's sensibilities. So I like my odds of getting it right more than others who are just who are coming in to direct certain episodes like that. And don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not in any way saying our directors are wonderful. I don't supplant them. Hopefully, I'm supporting them right. or helping them out. It's just that, you know, I've known Rob for 15 years and when I read a certain scene, I kind of like, I know, I, I know what he's looking for there, right. you know, and, and can help them to find it if they aren't already finding it themselves. So that, that, that is a big picture of me and Rob yeah. and of this show. There you go. So that's cool. So you're pretty much, you're there, you're there most of the time when all this, uh, all the, all the magic is happening, uh, you know, on camera, right? Uh, very specifically, I was there for 156 sheep days oh, this wow. season. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what made you say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm doing this job. It's, it's great, but I want more. I want to direct an episode. <laughs> I mean, the, the last time you directed, I, I see it's, uh, it's for, uh, debasement tapes, the Veronica Mars episode, which, uh, was also written by, uh, John M. Bum. Which is just a, what a, a crazy, great, wonderful coincidence. Oh, okay. Um, here is a great you're you're going to find me saying a lot of amazing things about Rob because he's an amazing guy. Um, but I mean, it's a priv- it's a privilege to work with him. It's also you know it's great because we're we're good friends, and so it, it works out. It's a really lovely thing. And one of the things that Rob is great as is, is encouraging people to kind of stretch and do a little more than maybe they thought they could do. And in the third season of Veronica Mars. I mean, look, I'd been doing that job on the show for three seasons and we were getting to a point where, I don't know, it was sort of like, well, I know the show as good as anybody and I feel like I have a good sense of staging and I've got a great DP who can, you know, help me shoot it. So Rob was kind of saying, why don't you, you know, take a shot at this? And I I think it went well on Veronica Mars in no small part, thanks to John's great script and Paul Rudd was the guest star in it, whom we've known forever. Um, so I think it kind of planted the idea in our heads that once we get a show up and running, there's no point to uh, not having me uh, direct an episode or two uh, because I 
at this point, I know the show better than anybody from a up there production perspective. Yeah. You know, there's there's no director that comes in that is going to not know as much as me. That that doesn't mean I'm better than these other directors. <laughs> in fact, they are better than better than I. But um, but in terms of knowing the show and knowing the actors and knowing the script and know that it just seemed like a a good move for us. One of the reasons I won't do more is that you know I do have a job to do being on set helping other directors and if i am prepping an episode that i'm directing i miss the episode we're shooting beforehand uh. and and not to say that that can't it wouldn't be successful with me not being there but you know generally speaking that's my job to be there so that's one that's a negative to it but um it worked out well uh, this season i was proud of the episode that we did i mean again with with the writing and the cast and the and the crew it's a little hard to go wrong but um so i think we'll i'll hopefully do one next season as well that's cool and uh yeah i forgot to say congratulations on season three um oh thank you so much it is the first time in our careers that we've known where you're going to have a job before the season ended it is so exciting we, when we had the rap party we actually instead of going hope Hope to see you next year. Yeah. Have a good break, but don't take another job. And I hope you. This time we just got to go see you. See you in July, <laughs> which was which was which was great. Um. So so yeah. The I mean I did a little bit of uh, IMDb uh, detective work. <laughs> I guess you could call it. <laughs> and you know you did say uh, it was. That's not fooling detective work, Robin. That's not like. <laughs> I did some did web like... surfing the other night while I was in my pajamas and. <laughs> <laughs> No magnifying glasses. IMDb.com search Dan Ethridge. Congratulations. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Crack the code. And, and, you know, you said it was a coincidence that you got uh, John's script, but, you know, you guys were both uh, executive producers on, you know, Party Down as well. And uh, then you did you did one of his scripts for uh, Veronica Mars. And, you know, Paul, Paul Rudd, of course, was it, it, uh, one of the producers of uh, Party Down as well. And then in the episode yep. Debasement Tapes. So does that mean Paul Rudd is eventually going to be on iZombie? No, I think we – I mean, look, <laughs> we're all great friends. But there comes a time where there's there's certain favors you ask. Mm-hmm. At, the, at the moment when Veronica Mars, we were trying to get a season four and – Paul had not just done Ant-Man. Right. You know, so it was like, that was a good time. And he was very gracious to do that. Uh, you know, because doing a, a, a CW, a guest star on a CW show was not where his career was far outstripping that, but he, he did it as a favor and it was gracious and, and a great episode. But I, you know, at this point, I think that probably asking him to do an iZombie is a bit big of an ask. <laughs> and uh, so, no, I do not, I do not anticipate a Paul Rudd guest star, not because he isn't gracious and lovely and probably would do it if we asked. I don't think I would have the temerity to ask. Um, but Are you saying he's too small go- for the role for, for, for iZombie? <laughs> yes. That's right. an Ant-Man joke, uh, by we, the way. We need to see how Ant-Man 2 does. <laughs> if, that, if that does okay, then, then maybe. All right. <laughs> but, I mean, we did find out that uh, Ken Marino is going to be uh, guest starring soon. So Very excited. To, look, I mean, I shouldn't make it sound like any one of these people, like all these folks who come and do these things uh, to come to play with us are – you know, coming up to Vancouver for a guest star on a show may not be where their career's at. I mean, Ken's doing leading roles in TV yeah. shows and movies and things, but it's it, we all enjoy working together, and, and if they can do it, they usually do, and Ken was gracious to do it. Yeah, he actually played a, a pretty evil character on Agent Carter recently, which is kind of outside of like his usual kind of uh, uh, Vinnie Van Lowe kind of... <laughs> uh, uh, well, it's funny, we were talking, Ken and I were talking on set, and he, he has gone through, you know, Hollywood loves to pigeonhole, and he's gone through very like he was originally pigeonholed as like the best friend, mm-hmm. but not the funny best. Friend. Oh, 
And then he did something funny. Was, and he said Veronica Mars one of the first times he got to do, other than obviously the state, but in terms of TV, that he got to do something that showed his comic show. And then he became the funny guy. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, so he's been, so I, I hope he doesn't get pigeonholed as the evil guy based on Agent Carter, because he's the farthest thing from an evil guy. But well, say la vie. yeah, and it's funny because, you know, it makes you think, like, obviously, I, you know, you don't need to spoil anything, uh, but uh, it makes you wonder, like, is he going to be like the, you know, the kind of the douchey guy? Guy, or is he going to be like the super evil, intimidating guy? You don't really know. Uh, that, that, you mean in our show? Let's let that be a happy surprise yeah, because yeah. I mean, the key thing about Ken is that he's hilarious mm-hmm. and a terrific actor. So yes. I think he'll those two stripes do it very nicely. Will there be a pink you know, bow tie you, you at mentioned... all in the, in the? Oh, sorry. What was Will that? there be a pink bow tie at all in the in the episode? Uh, <laughs> we have given thought to that, <laughs> and some a big bow tie could appear, but uh, uh, not on our very own Ron Donald, Ken Marino. Right. <laughs> You know, John, you mentioned John Inbaum and, you know, John and I actually went to college together. Oh. So that that relationship goes back forever. And then, you know, I I met Paul in the 90s and, and Rob coincidentally met him outside of me on his own. And then that swirled together and the four of us were friends and hanging out and Party Down came from that. And so John and I have had the, you know, have had, I mean, like he wrote a script for me back in college uh, so this has been a long, long and wonderful relationship. He's just the best guy. Wow. And, uh, you know, while we're still talking about Party Down a little bit, uh, we, I also saw that uh, Andrea Savage is going to be um, on an episode of Zombie, And I read some trivia about her that she almost had Lizzie Kaplan's role, but she had to kind of bow well, out, basically. I, yeah, I mean, she, in fact, did the um, we what we did. And again, very ballsy of Rob um, is. We shot the original pilot for, for Party Down was shot in Rob's backyard wow. um, and we did it. And then we took it around and showed people and eventually stars bought it. And once they did, we reshot the pilot and, and went forward with the series. And Andrea was 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 the original Casey Klein mm-hmm. in the backyard uh, pilot. But she was uh, I, I think she was just about to have her baby right. in the series. I mean, at a point where motherhood was upon her and it just, there was no way she could do a series. So we would have loved to have continued working with Andrea. Um, th- that said, uh, Lizzie Kaplan's amazing. Yeah, so yeah, definitely. really we're quite blessed both, both routes on that role. So it's super thrilling that Andrea is back in our lives. Yeah. I, you know, cause I don't really, I, I've never watched her, the house, the, the hot wives uh, show on Hulu, I guess that's <laughs> where she's from now. But I was saying on the show that, you know, she almost got one of the main roles in Party Down, so she's definitely going to be, you know. Awesome yeah, I mean, that's why, like, I, I we should phrase it as she, she, she had the role, yeah. but she was yeah, the role, yeah. birth the role, and then, uh, and then life blessed her with a baby, and that was wonderful. Yeah, so yeah. there you go. So you were also in the writers' room for Party Down. It's, I see you wrote an episode. Is that something you want to try to do as well for iZombie? I'm not a, I am not a terrific writer, but I am good with story. And I mean, that was something I think that Rob and I bonded over, as I talked about before Veronica Mars was helping him break story. Again, you know, I, I but a mere humble servant in that relationship to, <laughs> you know, whether it's to Rob or to John, they're the, they're the huge talents, or, or to Diane, they're the huge talents. Um, in Party Down, it was slightly unique. The four of us took several years to really write the pilot script. 
So we did co-write that. Um, and then when and this, and I'm painting with a broad stroke brush here, uh, but to answer your question in series on party down, we did 20 episodes and I helped break the story for all of them, whether it was John wrote a lot of them. So a lot of that was John and I doing the story and then John writing them. Sometimes it was Rob, John and I doing the story and, and Rob would write to co. So I was really involved with, uh, I, 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 I was involved heavily in breaking the story for it. And then those guys would brilliantly, brilliantly write it in my humble opinion. <laughs> oh yeah um so yes i was lucky to have a writing credit on the pilot and i did do that work but i don't consider myself a guy who would actually write the draft but I, I do think i'm good in that situation of you know some of the most fun john and i ever had together was for season two of party down we uh we sort of had four weeks in the 110 degree heat of burbank california <laughs> and this little office stars gave us and we just we just sort of I mean we had talked about big picture stuff with Rob, uh, but we were sort of then we had to break each of the, a lot of the episodes and just sitting in there and having to be the two of us friends since college breaking these episodes was uh, was a treat and and a lot of fun. Well, that's great. It's great to hear. Thanks thanks for sharing. Um, we do have and probably over sharing. No, Sorry, no, it's fine. No, I I was just thinking about the listeners possibly uh, banging on the glass door, screaming at us to talk about iZombie. So we should probably of course. <laughs> Feel free to edit all this out. No, 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 edit. no. It's all saying in. <laughs> I love it. Um, uh, so he blinded me with science. Um, the first thing I had here, I was going to ask you about that really horrific corpse. What was uh, what was it like uh, uh, creating that? Well, you know, we have uh, Todd and Laurie uh, do that work for us, and they are so good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I we actually have an easy job in that regard. Hey, we need a charred corpse. <laughs> I assume that's the corpse you're speaking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, and then it shows up on set, and it's it's always just spot on. They're really good at what they do. Yeah, there's uh, there was another corpse. You're right. The the one that was in Shady Acres, um, Shady Plots. Excuse me. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. No, I like Shady Acres too. Um, yes, yeah, but I I knew the one you were thinking. Of. In fact, I even forgot about the one. And I guess that's Dave the bicyclist who chief is eating his brain. Or yes, yeah, but that yeah, really saw it. Really saw it. There's something weird about that brain, and I just I'm not sure how much you can really uh, really. Uh, spell out for us at all but uh, it seemed that after blaine uh, started eating that brain it seemed like he was starting to get some sort of a good conscience i mean he was handing out the lists to his uh, underlings telling them to stay out of utopium to donating five thousand dollars to an ms uh, uh fundraiser uh can you speak at all about what that might have been about or was that just blaine being Blaine, I you know there there was a mix there. the The truth is is that I I don't know the degree to which they were playing the undercurrent of the brain taking root that quickly mm-hmm. in him eating it. I do know in the bigger picture whether or not it was heavily brain influenced or not. In the bigger picture, Blaine is 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 getting contemplative about his own you know quote unquote mortality. Right, right. So I think really. And the brain, the, the reason I'm hemming and awing is like, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure how much they thought the brain was playing that. But I do know this. I do know that it was not suddenly the brain took over Blaine and made him think things he wasn't already thinking. I do, you know, he was, he's on a journey yeah. in this episode. Uh, and obviously the journey reaches the conclusion that it does in the, in the montage at the end. So I think that was the, that, I think that scene really was about 
his growing contemplativeness. And I, I'm not sure the degree to which Dave's brain really played. But obviously, if it was supposed to play a lot, then I, as the director, didn't really understand that. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just say it was Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> and and that, that final shot with the uh, the needle, he pushes the needle in. And, you know, yeah. this is obviously this is your fault because you directed the, the cameraman to do this. He puts the needle in his arm and then the camera goes off the needle and we just see Blaine's face. And I'm like, is he making a I just got injected with a cure face or is he just making a contemplative face? Uh, I think this is a directing coup, what you're describing, because <laughs> it's me. In fact, we would like you to wonder which face is that <laughs> we, we want. We did want the cliffhanger, the emotional cliffhanger of what is the physiological and psychological effect on him. So to, to really the credit is due to David Anders, who I think turned in the exact ambiguous uh, performance that clearly you you read it as. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Stephen Weber, how, how is it directing him? Well, Stephen's a treat. I mean, he did uh, – we met him on Party Down. Mm, yes. uh, there was a Armenian mobster role and he was actually friends with the director, Brian Gordon. And so Brian called Stephen and we didn't know Stephen found him. In fact, I mean, Stephen's a big, big TV star. For our little party down at the time, we're like, oh, Stephen Weber. Yeah, oh. yeah. And then we didn't know, would he come in and would he be cool? Would he fit in on the, you know, the seat of our pants vibe? And he was so great. <laughs> and he, he was, and he had been typecast as a prick in a lot of things mm-hmm. re- back then recently. Uh, and so he was so excited to get back to just flat out comedy. And so he came so ready to play. It was so great party down. And so obviously we wanted to work with him again and so when Vaughn came up, of you know, Rob reached out and it was a happy reunion. And he's just a terrific human being, always comes super ready to play. And I tell you, you don't do a lot of directing necessarily with Steve Weber. Not that he wouldn't take it. He'd happily take it. But he, he, he gets it. He gets Vaughn Duclark. He inhabits it very fully. Uh, one thing that I, I was – he's such a versatile actor. You know, one of the scenes that I had was so well written and I had such – I was so excited to shoot because I just – felt like it was going to be a really good scene and I, I hope it's perceived that way you know at the end when when leanne re- oh, when gilda returns chilling. and he's in his office i, I appreciate you saying that because it was so well written yeah. and i glad we delivered but it was just great to stick that you know that extra tight close-up on steven's face i mean really a tighter close-up than we do in the show ever and he's just staring at her unblinking and it's so perfect you know he he's doing so little but he's doing so much mm-hmm. and it's so great and you know, I didn't, I didn't have to, I didn't have to describe them what to do. I just said we're going to put the camera right up in your face, Stephen, and you were, you know, you're horrified. And then he brings to it this incredibly rich performance. So that that's Stephen. I mean, just a joke. I mean, absolutely. And, and and you know, it's not just you know what you're seeing on his face, but you know the audio cues you're hearing in the background, that elevator ding, the the yes. shambling, uh, and then you know Rita, you know, screaming, "Dad, let me in." Um, yeah, actually, it reminded me of. Uh, let me in. Let me, let the right one in. Um, yes, 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 yeah. yes. So very much so. Wow. That was, yeah. uh, you know, I will say, like, if you read the scene, they wrote they wrote every millibeat. Um, but also, I, you know, you're right. I was so excited about this. Is the scene I thought about the most because I, you know, we don't often we have to shoot really fast in this show. Yeah. 
So we have a scene that's, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, let's say Hitchcockian, you know, something where the shooting has to be done in a manner to feed into the ambient. You just can't shoot it really fast and straightforwardly. That particular scene won't work that way. Many others will because they rise and fall on, on the dialogue and the banter, or the you know, the characterizations. This one, we had to have an aesthetic to the scene and, and we don't always have a lot of time to do that. So I really thought a lot about this and, it, it, you know, like you, like you said, they knowing that I was able to play with sort of the, the off-screen ding and, and, again, being very tight on Steven so that, you know, getting his eyeballs flickering over to the right, which I thieved from, again, that's not like it's some great profound shot, but if there was a trailer for the movie, this is so obscure, but there's a trailer for the movie Dracula, uh, when it, a long time ago, Francis Ford Coppola, and all it had was Anthony Hopkins reading from this dusty tome and in sort of horror, you know, a voice filled with dread mm -hmm. and just at the very end his eyes flicked to the left and there was something so creepy about it mm. and so I, I really wanted to do that and of course steven did it great so anyway i just babbling on i'm that gonna have to get that look look that up and post that that's awesome yeah so it was, it was a lot of fun um and then we had we also had uh something i i, I can't help but think of sherlock when i see like charts and graphs going up on a screen you know uh, the process of thinking and and uh you know showing showing that thought process going on with actual text on the screen and different things uh going did you have fun playing with that a bit yeah the you know i i think i have this right i think that was a rob uh a rob brainstorm like in prep like maybe the tone being like that i don't think that was scripted initially i think at some point he was thinking about there's a scene and it's a little truncated in the in the in the episode as the, the final cut of the episode where Ro, uh, Liv is in the kitchen and she's opening up the cell phone and we first see some of the graphics. And it was actually a much longer voiceover, but for time reasons, it got paired back. Right. And I think Rob was looking at that voiceover and the science brain of it all and thinking, we need something to help accentuate this brain. And so I think, pardon the pun, I do think it was Rob's brainstorm. I could be wrong. Maybe it was John's, but I think it was Rob's to do some accompanying graphics. And it, so I can't take any credit for that. I can't take, well, credit in the execution we had to um, – it, it had to, it made us think about the shooting of it differently because we because we were this is just how TV works sometimes it wasn't like we had brilliant graphics already pre thought mm -hmm. so I knew exactly what to shoot I had to try and shoot something that could accommodate whatever graphics they might come up with in post right leave enough so room on the sides yeah yeah exactly like you just had to frame it differently and be, and it was much longer originally and she sort of floated from the kitchen into the living room into a chair and sort of designing it so you could put graphics at any point or not put graphics. So it required sort of multiple ways of shooting it to embrace what might come down the line. And then the art department, uh, our graphics guy, Dustin and uh, Jacqueline, they did a great job. Um, actually, I was going to ask you uh, about if something was edited out. Um, it seemed kind of uh, strange. Like, uh, I mean, it's, it's explained in voiceover, but when Molly goes up and talks to Drake and then they walk away together, I almost thought that there was going to yeah. be something more to that. Was that you're, you're right? There was some. There was. There's a. There's a scene on the floor there. Not a scene dropped uh, because of it wasn't good. It just mm -hmm. the episode was a big episode and time. Yeah. And and that that happens. And you're right. That voice over there is is covering for a dropped scene. Yeah. You 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 you, you snip this out on that. One. <laughs> <laughs> we're the eyes zombie podcast, so we're. <laughs> Rob was aware. I mean, it'd be like you know, it it was one of those. What's the what's the best possible decision in the circumstance? Because if the scene had stayed yeah. over a couple minutes, we just didn't have. So, 
Uh, well, I love the fact that we had this double meta thing going on here. We had Liv looking a lot like Rose McIver, and then we find out that she is using Gwen Dillon as an alias. <laughs> <laughs> yes. how, how fun was that? I mean, can you talk about... I mean, that was great. It's, you know, part of the fun of the show are, are the the callbacks, the references, the puns, and, uh-huh. and so we have enormous fun doing that. I mean, but again, credit to the writers there. I, I didn't come up with that they did of course uh but you know rose must have been a lot more relaxed on the sets i mean did she have to still wear some sort of wig or is that just her natural hair no that's her natural hair it's funny because rose and i you know rose and i are are actually quite close and that's a lovely thing to have with your your leading lady and she's just a wonderful human being and i i I probably wouldn't tell you she was an awful human being but i'm so (laughs) pleased i could say quite genuinely that all of our series regulars are wonderful people they're we're so we had the best cast (laughs) And it was so lucky. And so she and I get along fantastically. And but when I met her on the pilot, I virtually only saw her in the wig. So like when I hung out with her a bit in L.A. and I was I I just didn't recognize her for the longest time. I really still even out. Yeah, I don't know her unless she's in the wig. So I felt like I was dealing with a whole new actress when she came out in that. Um, she does not need much work to look beautiful. So she she was looking close to au naturel there. (laughs) Um, there was also some uh, Muzak versions of Duran Duran and Tears for Fears in this episode. Was that because of licensing or just? Well, I, I think the, the the you're talking about the one with Blaine on the bus in the beginning, and then the elevator has uh, everybody wants to rule the world, right? So well, right. <laughs> well, Rob, Rob Rob's great with music and does a lot of those music ads. Then the Duran Duran because it was it was referenced even more fully in dialogue mm. in the scenes cut down a little bit. It's but it's referenced briefly by Blaine. So I think they went with the music version just to be cheeky as opposed to, say, the song. I mean, it is the bus, so the music sounded a little more conceivable. Uh, so anyway. It, no, I mean, it's it's funny to hear that it is cut down a bit because I thought it was just – it was perfect because he says he's hungry like the wolf and he's, and the other guy's like, that's a reflex. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's a reflex, right? <laughs> you know, like that's, that's my reflex of being a zombie. I want to eat that brain. I'm hungry. No, I mean, look, look, yeah. Rob's a great editor. And, and, you know, in the other case where it was cut for time, I, I mean, this may have been cut for time, but I agree with you. This is a really good cut of that scene, mm-hmm. whether cut for time or no. Um, I did want to ask you a bit about the sets and if they are sets or not. They're the places we spend in every episode of Zombie. I mean, sure. first off, the morgue. Um, is that all completely a set? That is. It is a, one of a, our, our wonderful production designer, Matthew Budgen, and his great team designed that set uh, for the pilot. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we kept it, you know, as we knew we would, because it was just such a great set. And so that's the, kind of the corner. That and the police station yeah. really are foundational sets, and Liv's apartment. You know, those are those are the those are the the ones that have been with us right. the whole time. Is there anything to the fact that it says like EST nineteen twenty four? You know, established nineteen twenty four. Is there is there like an Easter egg with that? Is it so like you know big? I wish I could tell you that there was some genius Easter egg, but but the the what it speaks to here's the genesis. I hope this isn't too boring. No, please. Is when we shot the pilot, the police station was shot on a location. There is a I think it's called Riverview, maybe it's Riverside. There is this. I know this sounds like right out of a movie. There's this like 100 year old mental asylum that's been shut down outside Vancouver, and everybody shoots there. They shoot hospitals and asylums and police stations because it has this old school municipal bones mm-hmm. to it. 
So we, Rob and the designer, and the, uh, liked the idea of the police station being in an old Seattle municipal building as opposed to like the gleaming new police station. Right. Um, once we went with that and had that out at Riverside, then the morgue, which was in the basement of that same building, needed to needed to be built with that in mind, with the feeling that it is the basement of an old building. So the 1924 is really Matthew's attempt to keep that motif of aged municipal building all the way down to the basement bones. Mm-hmm. So that is the that is how those things occur. And uh, and that's why that's done. It's interesting. Are there any sort of like Easter eggs we should look for in the background of some of these like regularly regularly used sets? Well, if I just blurted them out, would they strike? <laughs> um, there is one in um, uh, the and an establishing shot of the police station. Mm-hmm. If you can find it, is it is it this, is it? The, oh, it's got to be the street sign, right? It's the street sign. It's it, <laughs> I've I was, I always noticed that before. But I thought people would think I was nutty if I said it on the podcast, but I, it sounds like you can verify this. Like you, it's some sort of street, but you only see the last like four letters. It's M B I E Street. So you think it's yes. Zombie Street? <laughs> well, can, can I, I like? I don't know whether I should just let the conversation stop here or tell you the secret within the secret. But but I guess like the whole fun would be the secret within the secret, huh? I, Maybe I, I, I have to ask. <laughs> What's the so secret? Well, the probably secret? Be that. Here's the thing: we we that police station, in keeping with what I was speaking about about the municipal building feel. Once we established that, we we found this. That building that we shoot is not a building we actually shoot in. That's just a building that we imagine is our police station and looks like an old municipal building. Um, So we shot some establishing shots there to use, and that building is actually located in Vancouver on Camby Street, C-A-M-B-I-E. So we just shot that. We did not pay attention to the street sign. We shot it, put it on the air, and then – I don't know who it was. I can't remember. Some fan said, look, it's, it's MBIE street. There's, they're very clever. That it was, it, it, it's, it just wants to be zombie street. And we all went and looked at him and said, Oh, look what, look what we accidentally did. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay. So that all that's off the record. Not, but <laughs> so, so there you go. It is, it is now an Easter egg that was not meant to be an Easter egg, except that we are going to take credit and say, yes, it was meant to be an Easter yeah, egg. Meant to do that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think that's all the time we have with you today, uh, Dan, but you're always welcome to come back and uh, chat about any episode you'd like. I uh, really appreciate your time tonight. Um, I'd be happy to come back. As you probably can tell, I really like talking. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I hope I didn't do too much. Edit anything out you want. Good, sir. Oh, no, uh, I'm keeping everything in unless you want me to cut it out. <laughs> No, no, I'm all, I'm all good okay. hearing me laugh on. Um, well, thanks for having me on. It was it was a pleasure. Oh, much appreciated. And uh, again, congratulations on season three. And, and thanks for an excellent show. I really appreciate that, Robin. I really do. Okay. Uh, we'll see you later then. All right. Take care. Have a good Easter weekend. Okay. You too. All righty. Bye. Okay. Well, I do want to thank Leanne Lapp. And Dan Etheridge for stopping by our uh, little podcast. I don't care what he says. It's, a, it's still a little podcast. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, uh, please uh, write in to us at izombiepodcast at gmail.com. Just let us know what you thought about the episodes. And, uh, you know, leave us a little review on iTunes, maybe, if you've kind of checked out this episode and uh, – 
enjoyed it. So again, um, thanks so much to Leanne Lapp and Dan Etheridge and to all the amazing guests we've gotten this season. And uh, um, I think we're going to take a quick break after this. Uh, the next episode is going to air uh, Tuesday. Of course, they're not taking a break at all. But as I said, uh, Stephanie is away. She's in D.C. And from the sounds of uh, what Leanne was saying, this next episode is probably going to be another jaw dropper. So I do not want to record without Stephanie. So I did talk to her and we are planning on meeting after she gets back. The Saturday morning, I know, I know it's going to be a long wait. The Saturday morning after the iZombie uh, the episode of iZombie airs. So I will get that out to you uh, basically the weekend after um, the episode of iZombie airs. And then we'll be back with our regular schedule of uh, recording Thursday nights and releasing it on Friday. So uh, thank you so much for your patience. And again, thank you for any of, any of you who do leave us a, a review on iTunes and uh, send us a little shout out either on Twitter at iZombiePodcast or uh, izombiepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk again soon. Bye now. The iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph is created under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 Unported International License. That means you can share it all you like as long as you link back to us. But please, do not change it or sell it or trade it for brains unless you're going to give us some. Our podcast logo is designed by D. Sheehan. You can find her work at behance.net slash Deanna Sheehan. Thank you for listening to our show. Obligatory contact information in three, two, one, go. You can follow me on Twitter at Steph Smith. You can follow me as well at L. Robinero. If you like what we do, check out our other podcast about the Joss Whedon show, Angel Redemption Cast. Find us at redemptioncast.blogspot.com. I also have a third podcast all about the Marvel Netflix television series, The Defenders Podcast. Find that at defenderspod.com. Like us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash iZombiePodcast. Join our Facebook discussion group, facebook.com slash groups slash iZombiePodcast. You can find those links and more on our home on the web, iZombiePodcast.com. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Use those delicious cerebellums and make sure you leave it on the correct feed. We are the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. And we're out. Brand Appetit!